Thanks for listening to this special edition of Inside the Daily Press. You're about to hear a long-form conversation with a candidate for local office. Um, If you enjoy these, check out our website. You'll see most of the candidates have come in and spoken to us. And then check out our website for full election coverage at smdp.com. All right, folks, welcome back. I'm here with Natalia Zernetskaya, who is running for city council. Um, Thank you very much for being here. We appreciate it. Why don't you take a few minutes to tell folks uh, who you are and why you're running? Hi, Matt. Thank you so much for the opportunity. So like Matt said, my name is Natalia Zernitskaya, and I'm running for Santa Monica City Council. I've been part of this community for about 12 years, lived in the city for eight. I am um, a former refugee, well, a refugee from the former USSR. My family and I moved here when I was six to flee violence and oppression in Belarus. We moved to the uh, to the Bay Area. I grew up in San Francisco. We had to rely on government safety nets like rent control and food stamps. I went to public schools my entire life, and I decided to move to Santa Monica after graduating from UC Santa Cruz with a bachelor's degree in economics. I immediately fell in love with Santa Monica and wanted to make this place my home, so I worked really hard for four years to find an apartment that I could afford here. and. Although it took me four years to find that apartment, even before then, I had already started getting involved in the community. I had joined the board of the Church in Ocean Park. I joined the board of the League of Women Voters of Santa Monica. And then when I moved here, I started getting even more involved. I joined the Human Relations Council of the Santa Monica Bay Area Board. I got really involved with Climate Action Santa Monica. I also joined the city's audit subcommittee. And the last four years, I actually was serving as the League of Women Voters of Santa Monica president. So when my term ended, I was initially going to take a little bit of a break and just rest. And I was thinking of running in 2024. But then Mayor Pro Tem Kristen McCowan decided not to run for re-election. And she called me and asked me to run in her stead. So I thought about it. And I realized that the city needed a voice like mine and a perspective like mine. Mayor Pro Tem McCown asked me to run because she knows that I have the lived experience, the community experience, and the professional experience necessary to lead the city into the future. And um, I'm happy to expand a little bit more. I know I talked a bit about my lived experience as a child, but, In terms of my professional experience, I'm a financial analyst. My actual title is Senior Due Diligence Analyst, which most people have no idea what that means, which is fine. But I work in financial services and I analyze complex alternative investment products. So I understand budgets, I understand finance, I understand how all of those kind of complex numbers work and how to make sure that our budget reflects our values. I mean, um, not to brag or anything, but for fun, sometimes I read the comprehensive annual financial report, but maybe maybe that makes me a little weird or uh, maybe it makes me somebody that's right to sit on the dais. <laughs> gotcha, all right, so you said there, the budget reflects the values. So what, what do you think the values of the city are? I think at a high level, the city's values well, I think we all agree on what our city's values are, but how they we apply them is where we differ. So, uh, sorry, let me, I, I think that we want Santa Monica to be an inclusive city. I think we want Santa, Santa Monica to be a safe place. We want Santa Monica to be a place where people feel comfortable raising their families, where people have access to economic mobility and services. We're an amazing place. People want to be here. Um, I think that people want to continue that into the future so their kids can grow up here. We want, you know, aging seniors to be able to age in place. We want folks to be able to get around safely without fear of getting hit by cars or any other moving vehicles. Um, We want to be able to shop here and have affordable places to shop so that folks aren't going outside of the city and can get everything they need in their neighborhoods. Got it. Um, what is, so you said one Santa Monica to be inclusive. What, what does that mean to you? A Santa Monica that works for everyone. And that's, you know, it, it's a little bit complex, obviously, 
because inclusivity means different things to different people. But I think it's about meeting people where they're at and giving them the resources that they need to thrive in this city. So my personal story, being a refugee refugee from the former USSR, when we came here, we initially lived in a small two-bedroom apartment with relatives until we were able to find a rent-controlled apartment. And uh, if I remember correctly from what my mom said, that two-bedroom apartment in San Francisco was $850 a month when we were there, which uh, today would be amazing. If you can find a one-bedroom or a studio for under 1000 in Santa Monica, um, you know, it, there, there's got to be something crazy going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so because we had access to those types of resources, because the programs and services that were provided to us met us and met our needs, I was able to thrive. I was able to succeed. I was able to go to school and have food because I was on free and reduced lunch. My mom was able to go back and get an associate's degree and find a job that paid her well enough. My dad was able to uh, get a union job that got us I think my mom had said that the the medical plan that my dad got through that union job cost $25 a month for the three of us in the 90s, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, folks need access to medical care. Folks need food. People need good schools. You know, there's there's all of these lists of things that people need access to in order to have a good life. And it's, it's not about just giving people things, giving people free stuff, but it's about making sure people have access to the resources that they really need. Got it. And so where, how does that translate into priorities for city council? So my top three priorities are homelessness and housing, public safety, and economic recovery. So we can't really separate housing from homelessness because the two are intertwined. You, you know, if you don't have a roof over your head, if you don't have a home, you're experiencing homelessness. That's, that's just how it is. Uh, homelessness in the city has definitely changed and not just in the city, but in the county, in the state, just nationwide, homelessness has changed over the past, you know, 40, 50 years. It started with when the institutions were closed and people who had been receiving care through mental institutions were then all kicked out. But that's not necessarily who we're seeing experiencing homelessness today, at least not in the same numbers as back then. Now a lot of it is stemming from not having enough affordable housing. So there's a lot of people experiencing homelessness that we don't see and we need to address kind of all parts of that spectrum. For example, we know that there is families with children who are experiencing homelessness and those children are in our school systems. How can we meet those needs? And, you know, there's a lot more to say on that. I could probably spend an hour just talking about Mm -hmm. that, but (laughs) I don't want to because I know we have other things to talk about. The other part of uh, working on the homelessness crisis is making sure that people don't fall into homelessness in the first place and preventing folks who are on the edge from falling into homelessness by getting them things they need to stay housed. That might look like subsidies. That might look like a lawyer if they're facing eviction. There's a lot of different things that can look like. And we can't just rely on one solution or one tool and expect there to be a silver bullet. We have to do a little of everything in order to solve the problem. And we also can't do it all ourselves. It's a regional issue. Sure, so so you could say, p- parsing that a little bit, right? There's lots of different kinds of homelessness. I don't think anyone disputes that. Nor do I think people dispute that the solutions are different to the different problems, right? Like there's all kinds of different things. When folks talk about Folks like uh, homeless folks like the kind like you mentioned, it's like um, a family with kids who are struggling to get by, but the kids are still making it to school. The parents are still making it for a job. They're crashing on a couch. Like those folks are very hard to quantify, right? It's hard to measure. It's hard, but I don't think 
that's the kind of homelessness that is driving the current debate. Because what those aren't the folks who are lined up on our street, right? Like we're across from OPCC. Like we've told this story before. We've literally no bullshit, like watched someone die at our feet on this street. Like the number of times we have to step over human poop is astronomical, right? Like our street is not populated by folks who are on the razor's edge that are, that have either recently fallen off or on the danger. Like our streets populated by folks who are basically unable to take care of themselves. Right. And I think my, my interpretation is this is the problem that is right in front of people, Right. The folks who are the hidden homelessness are just that they're hidden. But the folks who are camping in the streets or taking over Chess Park or are, you know, sleeping on the benches in Tongva Park, like those are the folks that are right in front of people's eyes. And so how would you approach handling that side of the problem? Right. Granted, there's different kinds. Totally get it. The kind of homelessness that I'm defining is very visible and very visceral. How do you propose to address that side of the spectrum? And that's a great question because – I think that is the part of homelessness that people do see the most and people feel the most impacted by, whether it's a, you know, a, a response that breaks their heart or it's a response that's, oh my gosh, why is this, you know, person who is unbathed and very smelly in my space or why is this person who's experiencing a mental health crisis yelling up and down the street and disturbing the public when they're just trying to go about their day that is the homelessness that we see the most often Mm -hmm. and that's you know there's a lot of different solutions for that as well On the long-term basis, we need to use a housing-first approach. And when I say housing-first, I don't just mean put people in a home and leave them there. That doesn't work because that needs to be connected to services. It needs to be connected to wraparound services. They need access to mental health care. They need access to physical health care. They need access to things that help build community because we've seen that when people feel like they have community, they have more safety nets because there's more people in their networks who are willing to help them stay off the street. There are, you know, there is a debate going on about what is the definition of quote unquote gravely disabled. And at what point do you put persons, do you put a person in a mental health bed? We know that that's a a big issue and there's been a big debate about that as well. We know that Santa Monica doesn't have any mental health beds. So that's something that I would love to address if I'm elected. Let's get some actual mental health beds for people experiencing severe mental health crises here so that they don't have to be put on a bus or a car or find a magical way to get, I don't remember how far the the closest one is. I think I heard it's in Torrance or something, Mm -hmm. but we need to have those solutions closer to home. Uh, the other part of it is, um, you know, medical care. You you mentioned that there have been people dying literally across the street from your office. Mm-hmm. What is it that they need in order to not die, in order to get access to the medications, the medical services that they need? We do have, you know, quite a few multidisciplinary street teams already. Um, the fire department's got, has CRU, um, The police department's got the help team. There's, I believe, the county's multidisciplinary C3 team. Mm -hmm. I think St. Joseph Center has a team as well. They've they've all got these teams. Um, There was just a kind of wrap-up report that was issued through the city's audit subcommittee that lists what are all of these services that we're providing, who are they helping, how much money are we spending on them. I think we need to take a very close look at that report and see how much more information we need from that so that we can allocate dollars to the things that are actually helping and maybe pull back on a bit on the things that aren't. Uh, maybe more things like a triage van if there's an immediate need and somebody is experiencing an immense crisis that's, you know, that might be at risk of causing harm to themselves or others. I think mm-hmm. there's also a balance because sometimes you see someone yelling on the street and they're just experiencing mental health crisis. But if you take a step back, 
what are they doing? They're yelling on the street. It may be really difficult to look at. It is really difficult to look at. But are they harming themselves? Are they harming others? Or is there another solution that we can use to get them into a place where, you know, they might have access to the medication or the psychiatric care that they need so that they can kind of level out? I, you know, I think a lot of people have mental health issues. It's not just people who are experiencing homelessness, but we see them. So that's who we associate with having mental health issues. So, yeah. And I mean, we need sober psych beds, right? Like, you know, do you figure out I said that phrase for, you know, is someone is someone drunk or are they on drugs or are they having a mental health break? Right. You don't know oftentimes for the first 12, 24, however many hours it is. Right. We don't really have any of those. Yes, everybody says we need some of those that are closer than Torrance, but how do we get it, right? Like, what do we do? We can't, we, we didn't force the hospital that's rebuilding to put them in. You know, UCLA has no plans to just magically build a facility. Not that they should necessarily, they're not rebuilding, but so what do we do, right? We need those beds. We don't have them. How do, how do we get them? I mean, we decide that that's a priority. We put it in our budget. We put out an RFP. And we get someone to, and not hopefully not just one group or entity, we get the bids to see who is going to build it, what services are they going to provide. And maybe we can also work with our regional partners because they might know how to do it more cost effectively. They might know the right service providers who have experience in those matters. I mean, there's there's a lot more we could be doing. And it's not just, you know, I don't think it should just be Santa Monica's responsibility. Sure. And so that leads to how do you, and again, not a disputed point, right? No one disputes that it's, and the only, the only dispute there would be how much of our responsibility is it, right? Some folks, there's, there's a spectrum there. But at some point, everyone's going to say, not just us. But that's always been the case, right? That's not a new phenomenon. Like, it's not... It's not new that most of the folks in Santa Monica who are homeless were not made homeless here. Very, it's, a, it's a fraction of a percentage. Like when we do the homeless count, it's just not very many Santa Monicans. It may be a lot of Angelinos, maybe people who were made homeless in the city of Los Angeles and are here. So how do we do that? How do we leverage regional resources or regional partners like and again this isn't just generically it's it's how would you do it right like mm-hmm. if you're on city council city of culver city exists west hollywood exists los angeles and it's venice is on our venice border right these places already exist why aren't they doing more if need more needs to be done already to help us with the problem and what what do you bring to the table that's going to get those regional partners to participate in in whatever project it might be? Mm-hmm. Good question. Um, so I'm a consensus builder. I like to work with people to come up with good solutions that work. I know we do have certain organizations that kind of bring in different service providers. So I know we've got Westside Coalition that has representation from a bunch of different service providers who focus on homelessness. Something that I would love to explore if I'm elected to council is, can we declare a state of emergency and get access to things like FEMA funds in order to build those mental health beds? Because I think everybody agrees that homelessness is an emergency. Folks sleeping and dying and having, you know, all of these different crises on our streets is an emergency. It doesn't just impact those folks. It also impacts all of the residents. It impacts the, re- uh, the, the folks who do business here. It impacts tourism. It impacts our economic recovery. All of these things are linked. I think what I bring to the table is being able to look at the issue in a way where I understand that it intersects with all of these other ones and you know let's let's use our lobbyists and at the state level and at the federal level to bring in more funding for these things and once we've got the funding then we can put up the put out that RFP we can have more measurements of what's working what's not working i have you know the the data analysis kind of background necessary to look at something and understand 
is this thing that we're doing really working? Mm -hmm. Is it not? How much money are we spending to get one person off the street? How much does it cost to, to not do anything? And I'm not saying we do nothing because that's untenable. That doesn't help mm -hmm. anybody, including ourselves. Sure. But it's an analysis point, right? You're the, the control, so to speak. Yeah. Um, all right. Got it. So I heard, I hear where you're going with that. Like, you know, maybe state of emergency, regional funding. Are there other, you mentioned the, the audit report that was recently done, you know, talks a lot about all the different kinds of homeless services that we have, different pro programs. Are there particulars that you already know you might want to expand or shrink based on that report as it stands today? It's a very pro preliminary report, mm -hmm. so it's kind of hard to say. And it only covers about a year, and it covers a very atypical year. So I'm not prepared to say off of just that limited data source what we should expand or should you know, contract in terms of our funding. Um, I would want to see the ex a more expanded report, and I'd want to understand from from multiple resources. That's that's the other th uh, thing. Uh, we can't just base our policy decisions off of one source. Just like, you know, I'm not going to go to uh, one person and ask, hey, how are you feeling about this particular policy issue? And uh, maybe they live in a part of the city that isn't really experiencing that kind of problem and take their opinion and turn that into policy. I want to hear from everyone. Mm -hmm. Because those kinds of you know those kinds of policy decisions are best. I mean, we live in a democracy, right? Where we're trying to hear everyone's voices when we're making decisions, and we know that no one policy is going to work for everyone. But if we can find the policy that works for the most people, for in the most cost-effective manner, mm -hmm. then that should be the policy we go with. And that's not to say it might not change in the future, because things absolutely can and should change when we learn new information we should continue to evolve but we need to make decisions with the information that we have today sure um so you know transitioning talk about some of your other priorities for a second but in, in terms of where they intersect right like homelessness as it relates to economic recovery is part of the argument that people are making around um, the promenade to a degree main street but other parts of town too right like the level of homelessness that we're experiencing is arguably deterring people from choosing to shop here and and engage in retail environments. It's not the only problem, and I'll be the first to say that like the phrase retail apocalypse existed pre-COVID, right? And like the mall was in that has that the, the Disney store closed at the mall not because of homelessness, because of other economic factors, right? You know, the movie theater that closed at the mall wasn't a homeless problem as much as it was a COVID problem, right? Other factors, but there's also Homeless folks sleeping in doorways. There's also people who don't want to expose their kids to a certain kind of environment. And, and there are arguments being made by some of the downtown property owners that homelessness is, is a significant uh, detractor to their ability to do business downtown. So understanding you already want to solve homelessness I, or work on it, <laughs> I get that. In terms of economic recovery, what else are you interested in as it comes to the notion of economic recovery, aside from addressing the homelessness side of it, like we get that that's part of it. Talk about that. What else do you have on the on the homeless recovery? Oh, no, sorry, oh, the economic recovery front. Yeah. Economic recovery. Um, well, definitely post COVID, as you mentioned, there's a lot to be done. Um, a lot of businesses went out of business. A lot of businesses were forced to let people go. A lot of people changed jobs during the last two and a half years. A lot of people stopped going out. Shopping habits have changed. So I think that we need to set up our businesses, our city's businesses, to evolve with the changing times. And I think we need to, you know, a big part of it is I think we need to cut red tape look at the fee structures for business licenses and the like. Um, there's a lot of barriers to entry for people who are trying to start a new business in Santa Monica. We are seen as this you know, progressive business center like where people can have innovative ideas and you know, start a business that solves a problem. But when we're doing that, 
are we really allowing people to allow, let me put it this way. Are we allowing people of all different backgrounds to really bring in their solutions? I don't think we are. I think we need to do more there. In addition to just, you know, cutting some of the red tape that it takes to start a business, I do think we need to look at reducing some of the business license fees and other fees associated with starting and owning a business. Um, Something that I was looking at actually just earlier today was the permitting efficiency study. And that was, you know, that wasn't necessarily related to all kinds of businesses, but I think that it demonstrates that there is a need for more streamlined permitting and more, um, let me put it this way, an increased responsibility on behalf of the city to really provide clear um, clear information to business owners about when they can expect something to be completed. Mm-hmm. You know, as as a business, um, businesses have to, they have deadlines, right? If you say to your customer, hey, I'm going to ship this out to you, you're going to get it on Tuesday, they're going to get it on Tuesday. Why can't we as a city say, when you submit a request for a permit and everything is in line, you're going to get this back in X amount of time. What that exact amount of time is, like, that's, you know, I can't say that off the top of my head because it depends on what it is that they're asking for. But I think we need to have clear information going back and forth in addition to reducing those, um, you know, reducing the red tape, uh, decreasing fees. Uh, Some, you know, something that I heard about that I thought would be a fantastic idea uh, would be having something like a business liaison or an ombudsman at the city level so that businesses have a point person to go to when they have questions about, is this possible? How do I get this license? How long does it take me to get this license? One of the challenges that I feel businesses face is that uncertainty. And being from the financial services industry, uncertainty equals risk. Risk equals more money, Mm -hmm. having to spend more money. So every day that a permit is delayed, if someone's trying to open a business, that's money that's not coming in the door. That's money that's not being spent in the business. That's taxes that aren't coming into our local coffers that can be used on valuable resources. Businesses are a big driver of what funds our city's programs and services. We all look at Santa Monica and we see, oh my gosh, we have these amazing parks. We have these incredible libraries. We've got X, Y, and Z, just, you know, name something. We have all of these incredible things here. That all takes money. Where does that money come from? A lot of it is taxes. A lot of it is those revenues from businesses that are doing business here. And we have already maxed out our transaction and and use taxes. I think it's a, it's, I think it's one of the highest, like 10.25 or something. Um, So we need to be making sure that businesses are, are able to bring in customers uh, within a reasonable time after submitting those permit requests. And Got it. Yeah. So, again, no one's going to dispute that, right? Santa Monica is is renowned for not being friendly to opening a business, right? It's yeah. renowned for being Byzantine and complex to get anything done here. That's been the case since I got here in 2014, and it's still the case today. We've had people cycle through city council. We've had staff folks cycle through. We're on our uh, fourth, fifth city manager in that time. I mean, it's still the case. So what, what, again, this comes back to the skills, I guess, and the question of why you, right? Like we need to do something to improve the city's reputation in the business community, right? Cool. Cut red tape, ombudsman, facilitate, faster permitting. All those things are great. How are you going to get that done given what appears to have been, in my my personal experience, more than a decade of it being unable to get done, 14 years or so, right? Like, how are you going to get it done this time? I'm going to work with my fellow council members because I think that that's something we can all agree on. No matter what we believe on other issues, whatever other kind of friction points we might have, I think we can all agree that the city needs to do more to support our businesses. So, 
you know, I can work with the mayor and my fellow council members to get um, to get the city manager to put out an RFP for new technology so that our permitting can be more efficient so that we're not waiting for, uh, you know, somebody who's out on vacation to read through stacks and stacks of paperwork to just say, yes, this actually meets our requirements. We can semi-automate a lot of these things. We can cross-train more people. Um, like I mentioned with that permitting efficiency study that the audit subcommittee did, it was, I think, in 20, 2021. So there were a number of observations and recommendations that came out of that report. Unfortunately, it does take time to implement them. So that is that is a really challenging part. We all want things to happen overnight. We I, Trust mm-hmm. me, if I could wave a magic wand and it would magically just be more efficient, we'd have new technology set up, I would absolutely do that. But, you know, I, I, I understand it takes time. So I'd really take a deep dive and um, talk to my fellow council members, uh, uh, abiding by the Brown Act, of mm-hmm. course, and make sure we're aligned in, hey, uh, let's let's make sure that we make this a priority in our budget to get the new technology for our permitting efficiencies. Let's work with the personnel board and our, you know, director of, I think it's like people, director of people, I don't remember her exact title, uh, but effectively Mm -hmm. the city's HR department to ensure that folks know in all of the departments that they need to cross train people so that we're not just waiting on someone who's out of town to get something done. The other part of it that is a challenge, and I, I think we all agree it's a challenge, so it, I, but I do have to mention it is the budget cuts from COVID forced us to lay off a lot of people. So where we might have been on a good path before, we got set back a lot in these last two and a half years. So it is going to unfortunately take time to build it back. But I can do it. I can build a consensus. I can um, I can be that voice that says, hey, guys, we really, really need to make this a priority. This is important to not only the residents of the city, but our economic health, which factors into everything else we want to do as well. Do we want to reopen the libraries full time? Yes, we do. Okay, guess what? It takes money to do that. Let's make it easier for the businesses to do business. And I know I'm talking a little high level, but mm-hmm. it is a little challenging to get into the very, very specific policies in only an hour. Sure. Um, got it. So, so on, in terms of other, other priorities that you listed, you know, the other one on here was public safety, right? Mm-hmm. So do you, do you feel safe walking around Santa Monica? Like just personally, do you, do you think the city is safe enough for you to feel comfortable as you go about your day-to-day business? I personally feel very safe. I know that not everybody else has that experience. Sure. And that's, yeah, the personal experiences yeah. vary, right? So you feel safe. Great. Some folks don't, that's on them. Either way, I think everyone acknowledges that public safety is a, is a, a topic of discussion in this election cycle, right? It's certainly something that people are interested in. So if if you are approaching this from the position of you feel safe, but you acknowledge and see how other people may not, how does that translate into priorities for you when it comes to public safety? So public safety encompasses a lot. Um, it's not just our first responders, but I know that they are incredibly important and we need to make sure that they have access to the resources that they need. A big part of it is we don't have enough. Um, I haven't looked at the most recent numbers, but as of April, I believe that our police department was about 20% understaffed compared to the budget. So we need to hire folks so that we can actually be where, where we need to be in terms of what we're budgeted for because not having the people to respond to issues impacts the amount of time that it takes to um, to deal with you know someone who's reporting a crime or someone who's having some sort of emergency. We need a staff backup. We also need to look at how is the time of the folks that we do have being used? Is it used to build community, build uh, trust, to respond to crime, to keep people safe, to walk around, to be present in areas, to kind of dissuade 
uh, folks who might be uh, thinking about doing something not great um, because they see a uniformed officer, okay, maybe they won't try to engage in any sort of illegal behavior. Um, But public safety is more than that. It's also making sure that when someone is crossing the street that they don't feel like they're going to get hit by a car. It's making sure that our streets are safe for people of all abilities and all ages. Um, you know, it's, 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 uh, it goes from simple things like making sure our sidewalks are even and making sure that curb cut ramps, um, you know, go into the intersection instead of uh, go into the crosswalk instead of into the middle of the intersection. Because if somebody is in a wheelchair, if somebody is pushing a kid in a stroller, you don't want to get hit by a car because you accidentally lose control and go into the middle of the intersection when, you know, a different car, uh, like cars have mm-hmm. a green light and you get hit. So it's kind of all encompassing. Um, and we need to look at where and why people are feeling unsafe. And I know, you know, just anecdotally, what I've heard is there have been a lot more break-ins. So we need to look at what's causing that and, you know, not only treat the symptom, but treat the root cause of it. And, I, you know, I don't know how many folks who have broken into businesses have actually been caught. We need to look at the statistics for that. Um, but also what happens after what's driving people to do that and how can we set up businesses and residents and visitors so that they don't have to feel unsafe. Got it. So hiring more officers, getting us to the quoted level. Sure. Right. Again, universal, I think, support for that. Again, we've never had that quota as long as I've been here. Right. So there's varying reasons why, but what what can you do to address that problem, right? Because again, this is a, it, it's just a perennial problem. As long as I've been here, we've never hit the staffed, budgeted uh, level for police officers. And every time we talk about it, every time a new police chief comes in, and I talk to them about it, they're like, "Yeah, I want to hire more officers." And then whatever police chief cycle, and I get another police chief, and they're like, "Yeah, I still want to hire those officers." So, what are what what are you again? Back to your skills. What are you bringing to the table? What's your pro- proposal? How are you going to actually help the police department get to its staffed upon level, given we haven't been able to hit it so far? That's also a fantastic question. So you just have really uh, good questions. Um, so we also have something called the Youth Diversion Program that's part of PD. Mm-hmm. And that helps you know teens who are at risk of you know, falling into a quote-unquote life of crime or something of, of the like to become really more contributing members of society. Like, I hate to put mm-hmm. it that way, but that's, you know, that's what it is. I'd love to see some sort of mentorship program or internship program that helps folks that are going through that or, you know, other younger people in our community be set up on a career path that, allows them to become um, law enforcement officers or first responders from you know any kind of division. Um, we can also look at can we meet some of the needs that we have with non-sworn officers because we know that our sworn officers are responding to a lot of things that maybe uh, they don't need to be responding to. In, um, you know, from my understanding, a lot of the things that they respond to is drug overdoses. Mm -hmm. So is it the best use of our uniformed officer's time to be responding to drug uh, drug overdoses? Can we hire people who don't have to go through the police academy to help with those kinds of things? And we also know that it costs more money to hire a sworn police officer versus a non-sworn police officer or even a medical or mental health professional. Um, you know, those are things that we can look at. And I think that there's more people who might be willing or, you know, maybe more of a, a, a universe of, um, of hireable mm-hmm. people for those types of positions versus the sworn officer positions. So that's something that we could do at least in the interim. And, the other part of that is maybe we can institute a, uh, 
program where folks who are non-sworn police officers uh, can go to the academy and, you know, develop additional skills to then later become sworn officers. Just we need that kind of pipeline and that I don't know if it's currently there. And from the best of my knowledge, it's not. Got it. Um, so on the other part of that public safety, I mean, so talking about curb cuts and traffic and and all that kind of stuff, um, I don't think that's what most people think about when they talk about public safety in this regard. So we'll sort of break that out for its own own point. So I guess why why do you think that's a priority? Like, what's causing you to look at look at the scope of things in the city and say the the uh, whatever you want to call it the non motorized experience, right? Bikes, pedestrians. Uh, to scooters, people in wheelchairs, you know, why is that bucket of things something that you think the city needs to be paying more attention to at this point in time? So that's twofold. Uh, accessibility and climate change slash environmental issues. We know that we need to get more people out of their cars. Um, and that's not just getting people out of gas-powered cars, but also getting people just out of cars in general, because we know that a lot of emissions don't just come from the gas itself. It comes from tires. It comes from other things that are associated with cars. So by making it safer to not have to use a car, having more protected bike lanes, having safer, wider sidewalks, having uh, more accessible crosswalks, it makes it easier for people to not have to rely on a car. Um, as part of that, we also need to work on expanding our public transit, uh, maybe reducing some of those headways for Big Blue Bus, making sure that it's serving the areas that it needs to be serving. Um, it's, you know, it, it's, a, it's an issue that touches a lot of different sub-issues or you know, higher level issues, I'll mm -hmm. say. So I have been very involved with Climate Action Santa Monica. Like I was there uh, to vote for its founding because it was incubated at the Church in Ocean Park. And now it's, you know, it's got Climate Corps, which trains young people to go out every summer and talk to people about what are their climate actions. So from that experience and just my general experience uh, working on policy, working on all of this stuff for the past 12 years, I know that when you make it easier for people to not have to use a car, it's better for not only the person themselves, it's also better for the community. Because if they're not using a car, that means less emissions. If they're not using a car, they're walking around, they're getting a chance to say hi to their neighbors, they're getting a chance to build community. Um, but if you don't have those kinds of things that make people feel safe, going back to, to mm -hmm. that, um, then people are just going to drive around and they're not really going to get to experience Santa Monica in the way that I feel it's meant to be experienced. And so, so I want to circle back to, to the sort of my, my, I guess my reason for addressing this bucket, which is there's all, you know, as a city council person over terms, you're going to get to do a whole bunch of things, right? There's not just the, the items that are most pressing today. There's also items that will come up down the line. And so something like this, I don't, I personally don't think is necessarily in like the top three and it, you know, you've got right public safety, economic recovery, homelessness, right? Those are sucking the oxygen out of the room right now. But I, I'm curious to know why, environmentalism and why the climate change and why this kind of item is something that's that's interesting to you, right? Granted, it's not going to be a number one priority day one because we've got other metaphoric fires to put out before we worry about these literal fires. But what what makes this interesting to you? Why is it something that you have incorporated into your campaign? Because I think it intersects with all of the other issues. So if we're talking about having, you know, good economic recovery and driving people to go enjoy Third Street Promenade, yes, there's that homelessness issue, but it's also, do people feel safe walking around? Are they going to trip on a sidewalk? Do they have a curb cut if they're using a wheelchair? Are buildings for the businesses accessible so people of all abilities can shop there? Um, it's also that we're very lucky that we're on the coast and 
we might be getting more folks moving here because they're moving from places that are just unreasonable to live with the heat that we're experiencing. I mean, I think over the past few weeks, we've all been Mm -hmm. kind of melting in our apartments and we have a lot of older housing stock. The environment and climate change is impacting a lot of the city's residents and a lot of the city's visitors. I mean, so I live in the Pico neighborhood. I'm less than 500 feet from the 10 freeway. So the heat that we're experiencing, it's exacerbated by those emissions. Uh, People literally die of heat exposure. It's, It's a serious problem. And most places in Santa Monica, particularly because our housing stock is so old, doesn't have air conditioning. Um, if you know, if elected, and if as a council we choose to explore something like retrofitting older units with air conditioning, uh, you know, painting roofs white to try to help with the heat, these kinds of things, we're going to have to look at them from different lenses, not just the environmental, because we also know. Air conditioning units use up a lot of electricity. So are we using sustainable energy? Is our infrastructure appropriately set up to handle that kind of, those kinds of energy needs? Um, there's just there's a lot that factors into it that's just really difficult to, to go into because there's so many different little connections. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this the housing and homelessness thing, like a lot of the reason that we do have so many folks on our streets and so many people experiencing homelessness is here that maybe, you know, didn't get displaced from a home within the city is because we are a temperate climate. It's, you know, it's not awful, at least most of the year, to be just out on the street in Santa Monica. But if you go inland, if you go somewhere else... It, it's not safe to be on the street. And I mean, I, the, the level of safety can mm-hmm. vary depending on where, obviously. But I, I think that we have to factor in those sustainability issues. And Santa Monica definitely has been a leader on sustainability. Uh, it looks like we're on track to meet our water self-sufficiency goals. And with California's drought, that's a pretty big deal. But there's other things that we need to look at as well. Got it. Um, so we're, we're, we're approaching our time limit, you know, so before we get, get there, just a couple of things. Um, there are other things on the ballot other than just, you know, elections for local office. Um, we actually have some ballot initiatives. Um, Measure RC is rent control. Again, you never know what order people are listening to podcasts in, so I don't have to give the description every time. It's 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 going to limit rent control increases in rent controlled units to 3% a year, does some rollbacks to make this year's one average out to 3%. Listen to other podcasts if you want the more description. <laughs> I've given this description a whole bunch of times so far, but that's what it does, right? So um, where do you stand on Measure RC? I support Measure RC. Gotcha. So and I don't think it's hugely controversial, but I'm just curious. Um, we have two different measures related to transfer taxes, taxing the sale of, of properties over a certain threshold, uh, one goes to affordable housing and a little bit to education. One goes into the general fund with a, a wish list of things it might be spent on, but it's just a general fund increase. Um, which of those two, if either, do you support? I support Measure GS. Earlier, Which, which is the one that which is the is affordable housing one. The affordable housing one, yeah. Um, so it's affordable housing and there's money that goes to schools. So earlier in our conversation, we were talking about the need for funding for housing. So this is something that would help address that need locally. So that way we could get it more quickly as opposed to having to wait to declare a state of emergency or trying to wait for the state or the federal government to pass some sort of legislation that sends us money for these things. Got it. Um, There's another uh, measure on the ballot for raising the TOT, the transfer tax on hotels. Uh, I don't think anyone opposes that, but I guess I shouldn't preempt that. But do you have, where where are you on that one? Um, I support it. I've, you know, I've tried to think about it. It's a modest increase. And from my discussions with people who are kind of in that business world, uh, my understanding is it doesn't, you know, it doesn't really negatively impact the number of people who are coming to stay at the hotels. It doesn't impact any one hotel more than any other because it's an across the board increase. And if I remember correctly, it's a slightly different percentage increase for uh, home sharing as well. Yeah, it, it's slightly different based on the kind of kind of units, but paid by tourists, paid by visitors, 
most people, most residents don't have any problem with that. Um, was there something that you wanted to talk about that we haven't got a chance to talk about? Um, if so, great. Let's talk about it. Um, if not, feel free to take some time if you wanted to like make a closing statement or make a your, your final pitch. Sure. So, um, you know, one of the things we didn't really get to talk about is some of my endorsements. Mm -hmm. So I have been endorsed by um, the L.A. County Democratic Party. I've been endorsed by Stonewall Young Dems. I've been endorsed by Stonewall Dems. I've been endorsed by Community for Excellent Public Schools, um, Santa Monica Forward, Button Housing L.A., uh, the whole list is on my website. And then I've also been endorsed by a number of respected elected leaders and community leaders in Santa Monica. So I've been endorsed by Assemblymember Richard Bloom, Supervisor Sheila Kuehl, um, Mayor Pro Tem Kristen McCown, which you could probably guess mm -hmm. by the fact that she asked me to run. I've also been endorsed by Gleam Davis. Um, former Santa Monica mayor, Nat Travis, was uh, one of my first endorsements, and I'm very proud of that one. Uh, majority of the Santa Monica Malibu school board members endorsed me, and a good number of the Santa Monica College trustees as well. Um, the full list, like I said, of my endorsements is on my website, nataliaforcitycouncil.com. And I believe that I'm the right voice to help lead the city. There is currently nobody under the age of 40 on the city council. And people under the age of 40 make up nearly half, if not more than half, of the city's residents. And we should be represented when decisions are being made. My lived experience, my community experience, and my professional experience have set me up to lead Santa Monica into the future. And I believe I'm the right person to do that. And I hope that folks will vote for me on November 8th or before when they get their mail-in ballots. Sure. All right. Sounds good. Thank you for being here. We appreciate it. And good luck in November. Thanks so much. Appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for listening to Inside the Daily Press. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts or listen on our website at smdp.com slash pod. Music for Inside the Daily Press is provided by The Brig Band, LA's premier jam band. To find out when and where you can hear them live, visit thebrigband.com.